Welcome to Radical Being. In today's show, I'm talking about maps of reality, the way our mind attempts to explain its perennial, <laughs> perpetual question of why. In particular, today I'm talking about two models of awareness, which is similar hand in hand with maps of reality. One I've shared in an earlier show. The second I'm sharing today as sort of an overlay with that earlier model. Three different levels or spheres of expanding awareness that I think of as shadow, gift, and service. It's all part of our personal evolutionary journey. And today, certainly in sharing models of awareness, it's just another map of reality. Maps are useful, but they're not the territory. And I like to share paradigm shifting possibilities in this show, which if you've tuned in before, as you already know, this is a show on self-awareness. Here's one of those paradigm shifting possibilities. What if the higher calling for humanity is to create beauty and goodness in the world? What if? Ready to dive in? Let's get radical. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Radical Being. I'm River Fair and I'm your host. For those of you who are tuning into the video version of this podcast, you can see that those large black rectangles are still behind me. As I shared in the last episode, those are audio sound panels. Just to help deaden the sound in this room, I am neck deep in the process of narrating an audiobook, the audiobook version of my my book that's forthcoming at the end of this year. So they're still here. I'm still in that process, which is, boy, it has been quite a learning curve. Audiobook narration is completely different than a, a mere podcast. And, but that's my little shout out that this, for those who are listening, that this is a video podcast and you can find the video version of the show either on Spotify or the show's dedicated website, radicalbeingpodcast.com. If you've tuned into the show before, you've heard me say, and you already know that I think of this as a show on self-awareness and personal evolution. And I like to offer little, I think of them as paradigm shifting possibilities. What if? And today I'm definitely offering a, a what if, a model, a map of reality. What if? What if that's true? I say everything's true somewhere. <laughs> the, um, say a model of awareness, but I'm getting ahead of myself as usual. The other thing that I often say in podcasts repeatedly and coaching and masterclasses and is an underlying thread of this show overall, the whole podcast 
is that it is largely our maps of reality, our belief matrix, as I put it. And there's an earlier show specifically titled that on that, The Belief Matrix, that's creating the majority of our unhappiness and suffering, that invisible web of our thoughts and expectations and projections and attachments and all that we have unknowing and unknowingly and unwittingly picked up in our early development, the learnings and expectations and teachings of family and society and culture. And it, it forms this invisible net that is how I think of it, that entangles us and, and creates the vast majority of our unhappiness and suffering. You've heard me say, if you're a regular listener or viewer, that as a trauma therapist, I, I always do want to give a nod to the role of trauma that, and the way that that can essentially hijack the higher brain. But that's, for the most part, it is our belief matrix creating our unhappiness and our suffering. And those maps of reality that we're largely unaware of that are guiding the whole journey. The, I think it's maybe in the second show, I've probably said it numerous places. I'm incessantly repeating myself with various shows, but, and coaching and masterclasses and, and whatnot. The mind is sort of the perpetual, perennial two-year-old. But why? But why? The, the mind is literally addicted to that question. Why? Why? Why is it this way? Why am I here? Why? Why this? Why? Why does it work that way? Or slight variations of why, like when? <laughs> when will it be different? When will I get to where I'm going? When will I achieve success? When, when will this, this difficult passage end? Why? 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 Arguably for 5,000 years, humanity has been seeking answers to that question. Why? Why are we here? And maybe where did we come from? How did we get here? Hence our creation myths and origin stories. And yet 5,000 years on, we are still creating our maps of reality. Nowadays, they tend to be more, quote, scientific. And yet that is still just a belief system. There is no objective reality, not even a scientific one. It's simply another belief system. And our perception largely determines our reality. Your reality, quote, scientific or otherwise, is true simply because it's your experience. But it's not, we can never convey our reality to someone else, not, not adequately. And their reality is their reality. And it's all true. It's all true somewhere. There is no one reality. They're just maps of maps of reality. Maps are tremendously useful in navigating a territory or landscape or life. Having a map makes the journey much easier. And we have uncountable maps common ones nowadays, the, the diversity there, but astrology, that's a, that's a map of reality. Oh, well, 
Of course you're that way because you're a Sagittarius, or Taurus, or whatever, or Enneagram, or human design. Well, of course, he's a seven, you're a four. That explains everything, right? <laughs> or developmental psychology. Well, I'm this way because this happened in my early childhood, or I'm the adult child of emotionally immature parents or alcoholics or you know, all of the above, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maps of reality that in some way answer that question, why? Why is it this way? Why am I this way? We'll get to that. How do I shift or change that a little bit later in the show there? I, and I, and I shared some of this in that second episode becoming free. So there's some in that episode of The Belief Matrix, but I'm going to reference that second show of becoming free, in which I shared a what I would just call a model of awareness. And like maps of reality, there's all sorts of models of awareness. This is how we progress and grow and this, but it's, it's just another map, useful. In that second show, I shared a model of awareness, as I would call it, by a Harvard, I think he's a sociologist, Robert Keegan. And it's, I shared three aspects of that model. It was actually, he actually has more stages in it than the three I shared, but the two of them, the early two are pre-adolescence. And so in terms of speaking about the adult population or our so-called adult awareness, they weren't relevant. So I simplified it. And there's some overlay of, or maybe I want to say that map, and it's just a map, has been very useful in my own personal evolutionary journey. Seeing the lens, looking through that lens of social identification, self-authoring, self-transforming. And yet, in my own journey, I think of those, well, not those three stages, but an overlay with that just slightly differently. And that's where I'm going in today's, in today's show. Hopefully, we never know. I try to find my way there, wander along through this stream of consciousness transmission. But Keegan's model, the, that early stage where the vast majority of people are, he calls social identification or social identity. And it's, I think of that as just sort of stage one, where everyone starts. There's no right or wrong or good or bad or any of these. We don't need to put a dualistic judgment on that. It's, we all start at the beginning and hopefully evolve to wider and wider self-identity and, and worldviews. But again, getting ahead of myself there. That social identification is my language, you know, version one. It's the, it's entirely ego bound. And that's, I also call that the provisional self. It's in its own way, inauthentic. And that's earlier shows about what is core authenticity, radical authenticity, radical integrity. That's a big part of the coaching work that I do in my eight week program and little bits and pieces here throughout the podcast the provisional self that is assembled really entirely from what we have learned from family, culture, society, 
the strategies we've adopted to survive or be recognized or get love or stay safe or all of the above, what it means to be a particular gender in a particular culture, et cetera, et cetera. You could also make an argument that that social identity is in some ways slightly different, but there's some overlay here, a survival mentality, um, less about actual survival at this stage of humanity's saga, but at least in one belief matrix, that's all wired into our DNA to survive. But I'll, in the model that I'm heading towards, I'll maybe circle back to that about the difference of survival or victimhood or whatnot or whatnot. So social identity being that provisional, ego-bound, kind of adolescent self, although that's where most people stay their entire lives. Most of the world is in that social identity. I am what I have by comparison, I'm looking out for number one, because that's really the ego's job. <laughs> Once the ego develops in that separation, the infant first realizes it's separate from mother. That's the beginning of the ego right there. I'm, I'm separate. I'm alone. And I've, my job is to take care of number one. That's essentially <laughs> the core message of, of ego, driving everything for the rest of your life until you be, at least until you begin to recognize that that's the strategy that's playing out. That second stage, you could think of it as a higher level, the next stage up, if you want to view it hierarchically. I'm more prone to think of it as like an encompassing sphere that's larger. It contains the smaller one, much like rings of a tree contain all the smaller versions therein. It's a wider sense of self and a, a wider, more encompassing worldview. I shared in that second episode, Becoming Free, that I find it curious that this mysterious thing happens for some people, but not others. We all start in that social identity, stage one, provisional, dot, 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 dot. And yet for some people, a, it's like a switch gets flipped. And kind of layer two things on here. I think, this is not Keegan's word, but I think of that first stage, social identification, provisional, et cetera, et cetera. The key word for me of that stage is victimhood. It's not my fault. Here's the reasons why, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's because I'm whatever. I'm black in America. I'm trans in America. I'm the adult child of alcoholics or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Emotionally immature parents or all of, all of the above. Not my fault. Victimhood is for me sort of the key word for that stage. And yet this mysterious thing happens for some people and it's like a switch is flipped. And instead of the poor me, it's not my fault. There's a move, maybe gradual or maybe sort of all at once to what I view as a wider worldview of what do I need to learn here? What's the lesson in that? Why does this keep happening to me? Why am I always in the same situation? New job, same situation. New relationship, same situation. What do I need to learn here? Keegan would call that 
the self-authoring stage. That works for me as terminology to a certain level. As an author, that works for me. And there is a tremendous, almost a quantum leap in empowerment from victimhood to what do I need to learn here? I think of that sort of key word there as self-help. That's the self-help, you know, the, the millions of self-help books that are sold and or coaching and program. I, I'm a coach. These are the people who are coming to work with me. This is where I was for years and years and years on my journey. Okay, what do I need to learn in this situation? And that sort of, and I would say this is that threshold of we're evolving out of that stage one the caterpillar self, if you've listened to earlier shell, we're in maybe this long, sticky meltdown process of becoming something else, but we're not yet that. And yet we're not yet what we're no longer what we were. And sort of the mind's idea, why, why, why in this middle stage, and again, that's all just a belief map, you can if it's useful, great. If not, it's river just talking again. <laughs> If this, I guess that where I was going before I, before I dropped my train of thought there, obviously the mind think is if I can get the right information, the right coach, the right program, the right spiritual path, the right diet, et cetera, I can fix this problem. The problem being me, <laughs> I can fix the problem of being who I am stuck in this way or this or that. And so, and this too is sort of, like the question why the mind is very addicted to getting the right, here's the next course, here's the next coaching. Very little of that integrates. That's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast, maybe something I, I definitely talk about that in my coaching with clients. Why so little of that actually creates lasting change. But it's very gratifying for mind. Oh, this explains everything. Here's here's basically a new map of reality. Oh, this this explains it exactly. And now I can fix this problem of being me. Self-authoring, self-help. Keegan puts that his highest, if you will, or that last stage as and only a very small percentage of the population is there. And I absolutely align with that. He terms that stage self-transforming. It's kind of an interesting term. But essentially, and this is a paraphrase, that the people who actually reach that stage take full responsibility for everything in their life. Full responsibility for this. If simply in the way that they view the world, the way they view what's happening to them, the way they view that their response determines everything. You are always the determining factor in every situation. You are always the determining factor. If simply, how will you respond? How do you perceive what's happening to you? Frame that as reality. And how do you choose to respond? So a, a useful map overall that has guided me. And when I look around the world, I say, yep, boy, social identification, victimhood, self-help, self-authoring, right? or the very few, self-transforming really empowered. And that's, as I said, there's a, almost a quantum leap in empowerment from the social identity to self-authoring. There is definitely a quantum leap in empowerment, if you will, when one reaches that 
if they reach that self-transforming stage. In my own journey, somewhere along the line, I started to think of this just, as I said earlier, in a slightly different way, like a, like a transparent overlay. If simply sit, using different words for three stages. Three stages is workable. <laughs> it's not a seven-stage model. It's a, and I do think of them as expanding spheres, encompassing each one, encompassing the others, as I said earlier. But I now think of these three stages, and this is today's show, as shadow, gift, and service. Shadow being a word that first really put forth by psychology pioneer C.J. C.G. Can't get my words right here or my letters. C.G. Jung. And he talked about shadow with a capital S as the repressed parts of ourselves, the cast off parts, the disowned things that we don't want to see or are unable to see. Definitely in modern language, things like trauma, things that we have repressed. Curiously, they're, well, curiously or not, it's far easier to see someone else's shadow than your own. Just like in light and shadow, your shadow is always behind you. Turn to look for it, but hard to see. And in midday light, argue it's not there at all. But it's very easy to see someone else's shadow. And just sort of from a psychology point of view, very often what we're reacting to in somebody else, at least in this particular belief matrix or model map of reality, is something in our own shadow that we're unwilling to see. So it evokes a charge, it evokes a, you know, they're so dot, 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 essentially they shouldn't be that way. But very often that's something that we simply won't allow in ourselves. And I'm not going to get into the whole sort of mechanics of shadow and shadow excavation and doing our shadow work. But I would, other than to say that is a very important, arguably very important part of our personal journey. Excavation, <laughs> honest self-assessment of our own shadow. And I say with clients in the coaching program, a really useful tool is recognizing the minute we have a really big charge on somebody, they're so hmm, flag. There's something there that I don't find acceptable. And likely that's something in my own shadow that I won't allow or refuse to see in myself, but I'm reacting to it in them. So shadow is how I view that victimhood social mentality. And part of the reason I use shadow is because it encompasses really those lowest level behaviors of humanity, not just the victimhood, but the, you don't have to look very far, even in with on the, <laughs> you don't have to look very far to see well-known people, even on the political level, even national quote leadership level, who are completely in shadow mentality, victimhood, lie, cheat, steal, anything's okay to get, because it's all about number one. It's all about me. That is shadow mentality. It's the lowest common denominator. Whatever it takes to get ahead and touching back to that earlier mention of survival, very little of it is actually about survival, although the ego can feel that way for sure. 
And again, we all start here, right? This social identity, shadow mentality. Me first, right? And take care of me. How do I get what I need? And as I've said, for some people, certainly not everyone, this switch is flipped and we begin to look at our situation slightly different or consider the possibility rather than the shadow mentality. What is the gift in this? So earlier I'm talking about Keegan's model. He said, what do I need to learn here? That's self-help. What is the gift here? In my view, there is a gift in everything, even the most difficult, painful situations, the, the seeming losses, the heartaches, the very challenging diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera. There's always a gift. That maybe is a potential, one of those potential paradigm shifting. What if? What if there's always a gift? That is my view. And that became my view pretty early on My when my adoptive mother, uh, with whom I was just very close, like a psychic bond, a true, as close to a blood bond as you could get without having that blood bond. Um, she died of cancer when I was 21, cusping into 22. And at one point near the end, she was on a full morphine drip and in and out of sort of various levels of lucidity and connection and clarity and recognition. One day she said to me, and I was thinking that she was quite lucid that day. And she said to me, something in this, meaning her passing, is for you. And I, well, she's clearly not lucid. You're my mom, you're dying, you're basically my best friend. There is nothing in this but heartache and grief and loss and and like sort of wrote that off. I, I, that I just could not take that in at all, that there could be any gift in this just utterly crushing loss that I was facing. Until about a year later, and somehow reflecting on this, you know, a year of grief and loss and finding my way through that process, I realized somehow that she was correct, that there was a gift in her leaving. And say things about contract or not, but in that, or at least through my perception, she set me free to my own journey. No longer did I need her approval or to be the good boy or anything else that had largely been my strategies through life, particularly as an adoptee. And the seed of that was truly, there is a gift, even in the most painful things that we face. And I've faced many painful things in my life, as pretty much everybody has, I would say. And yet, ever since then, I've said, okay, what's, what's the gift here? What is the gift? So I think from my own journey, somehow at least I began moving into that gift stage pretty early on. What, what's the gift here? Okay, what is the gift? Also, both she and her husband were therapists. I before I grew up with two therapists, I was doomed to any sort of normal upbringing, quote, normal upbringing, and yet tremendous gifts in that, if simply for self-awareness, what is the gift here? What is the gift? So here's, 
in that third stage of how I sort of view this model of awareness. And, and this is an evolutionary journey, like I'm always talking about in this podcast. I view life, at least at this stage of humanity, humanity's saga, as the invitation to evolve personally. And that is a process. <laughs> it's a long road to freedom, as I say. But that third outermost, if you will, sphere, stage, whatever, I think of as, rather than Keegan's word of self-transforming, and this is quite actually quite different than his, service. Shadow, gift, service. And that ties with my belief map, if you will, that here's a what if. What if the higher calling the higher calling for humanity is to create goodness and beauty in the world. That is, that is how I see the higher calling of humanity. Certainly not everybody's doing that. Not everybody is called to that for all the various reasons. They're in different stages before that, but just possibly for at least some of us who are called to move forward and expand and go through this evolutionary process willingly, which is a whole lot of courage and surrender and other things that I've touched on in previous shows, to create beauty and goodness in the world. What if? That is my path, my calling, service. Service is, is a little bit of a loaded word. I think it can encompass, it does encompass many things. Service for some people might be something more like being of service to others and maybe like helping helping out at the homeless shelter or soup kitchen something like that that type of service or donating our donating our time to a cause or charity being of service for me i think the key thing of service or quick little sidetrack here so the keywords I shared earlier of those earlier stages, victimhood for shadow and social identity, self-help for the self-authoring and or gift level. The sort of keyword I think of for service is really altruistic action. And that's important because one can be in service, but really you're doing it for yourself. You're hoping for the recognition or, oh, wow, isn't she a, such a good person? Or isn't he so whatever, noble and da, da, da. And, and, and really there's a fair amount of ego. And, and that's, that's definitely its own journey. But the heart of that highest level, truly being in service, is for something other than personal recognition or gain. And maybe personal recognition and gain does come from that. But that isn't the key motivation. The key motivation is simply being of service. What if that's the highest level for humanity? To serve each other, to help each other, to create goodness and beauty in the world. There's something very, very powerful about altruistic living service, whatever word we want to use. And I'm thinking of clients, and I'm thinking of one client in particular right now, particularly when we are in our own particular hell, frequently with clients. This one person I'm thinking of in particular, who was very much in their particular hell at that time. 
Here's another quick little detour. I, I have often said and still do that gratitude is one of the most powerful practices we can embrace. I used to say it's one of the most powerful spiritual practices we can embrace. And you can just take the word spiritual out of there. It's just one of the most powerful practices we can embrace. It can reframe pretty much anything. And yet when we're really in hell, and I've certainly been there myself on my own journey, long, multiple long, dark nights of the soul, or working with clients who, I, you know, don't talk to me about gratitude, right? I'm not grateful for anything. I'm not grateful for my life. I don't even want to be here. And okay, I get it. I've been there. I've been there too, brother. My coaching for them to get out of hell, because they can't get out any other way, is to be of service. Okay, here's what I want you to do. This is actually what I invited that particular client to do. Because gratitude just, well, <laughs> he wasn't having it. And because uh, he genuinely could not feel gratitude for anything at that particular stage. Okay. I said, it was, uh, it was around Easter. I said, here's what I want you to do, or what I invite you, suggest strongly <laughs> you do. Go make an Easter basket for someone who's important to you. Maybe that's your mom. Maybe that's your friend. Maybe that's you know, your girlfriend who you're on the outs with or whatever else. Make an Easter basket for them, whatever you want in it, and leave it on their porch anonymously. Again, here, the point is you're doing something that's not about you or getting recognition for you. And you're doing something creating arguably beauty and goodness for someone else. This is for me, at least, and for most of my clients who have employed something along this line with is one of the fast tracks out of hell. Get out of yourself. Be of service. Do something for someone else you're going to feel better. You're going to feel better. We know if uh, I'm thinking about um, the power of aid and Lynn McTaggart, and we, we know from brain studies that a whole different wiring happens. Well, maybe that's slightly different, but with like altruistic meditation in studying the brain, when we are sending altruistic thought in a sustained level, there's a whole different level of activation. The brain goes up in its frequency, and I, I won't get all, in all the details, but I might recommend or send you the way of the book, The Power of Eight. Potential paradigm shift right there. The brain changes when we are in and can change with, in a lasting way if that becomes a regular habit, such as ongoing altruistic meditations. I used to lead a weekly meditation some years ago, back when I was still LR Hartsong and had the evolutionary tribe and online community and whatnot, whatnot. Service. Another way I want to move towards winding this down because at an hour, I'm just getting started. So half hour podcasts are sort of like sitting on my hands. But another word that sometimes could be interchangeable with service and certainly how I think of that higher level is our giveaway to the world. What's our giveaway to the world? And giveaway, I do want to say, doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's for free. <laughs> Although for much of my own journey and building things and coaching and whatever, on all the things that I offer out there, yeah, it's a giveaway. <laughs> None of that makes any money. It's just yeah, my ongoing literal giveaway to the world. Maybe 
one day it's not a giveaway and there's a reciprocity that flows back in. But the motivation is initially sharing your gifts and talents in the way that only you can. Hmm. Your unique calling, if you will, or as I said earlier, potentially creating goodness and beauty as only you can. I, I have a blog on my site, Pearls and Dust, and repeatedly in that I'm, I'm writing about creating beauty, this very thing. What if this is the higher calling? For me, it is. But there are infinite, small, ordinary ways we can create beauty. It doesn't have to be some grandiose, huge thing. You don't have to be in service like Mother Teresa or any infinite, small, ordinary ways to create beauty. We're all pretty insignificant. Just fly in a plane across the country, any, any country, you know, all the millions of people. It's like, you're really no one. I'm no one. We're all invisible. You know, our low level of internet fame or connectivity, or I think you look at the world from space. It's all pretty irrelevant, except for in our immediate sphere, the lives we touch. How are we embodying that goodness or not? That is our evolutionary journey. It's a little sign in my bathroom, a little photograph that years ago I downloaded from Instagram, the man holding an umbrella over a cat on a bridge. And it says, in a world where you can be anything, choose to be kind. It is a choice. Everything is a choice per the last episode there of the integrity meter or blurred together. It wasn't the integrity meter. It was something else. The last show, everything is a choice. Right? Lifestyle medicine. That's what. Mm. Shadow. Gift, service, giveaway, creating beauty, your unique contribution to the more than human world on this personal journey of evolution and transformation, courage and willingness and surrender, and all the things that I keep touching on here. I didn't specifically mention integrity. I'm always talking about integrity and radical integrity coach in this podcast, but, and not that integrity doesn't come into that, the, any of it, well, it doesn't come in at all into the lower level of shadow and social identity. Maybe it begins to glimmer somewhere around self, self-authoring and that gift level. But I think integrity is definitely, has to be a keyword for self-transforming and service future podcast, perhaps. Thanks for joining me. Another journey into possibility. What if, what if maps of reality, models of awareness, you can rate and follow the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. And as I frequently say, ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcast universe. So please and thank you. This show is still sort of finding its wings. So your, your ratings and sharing it with others helps potential new listeners or viewers tune in. Whenever it is that you are watching or listening, here's wishing you have a lovely morning, afternoon, evening. And as I say, 
be well, and be radical.